minus three with Dave Damashek. Summer's here. Final four in hockey is just about set. It's getting close in the NBA, too. Baseball season in full swing. However, Dave Damashek is cold, downright frigid, at least where his gambling picks are concerned. Not good. Either way, hi and hello and welcome to Minus 3. Presented, as always, by FanDuel Sportsbook. Tune in all season long for exclusive offers and odds boosts. FanDuel, more ways to win. Go back and listen to our episode from earlier in the week, a couple days ago. Martin Weiss joined us. Of course, you know him if you listen to the Extra Points Network here, there, and everywhere. Lemon Pepper Parlay. He focuses on the Midwest, along with Rob Parker and beyond. Uh, Good times chopping up the NBA postseason and making some long-term picks about what's going to go down in the AFC North and the NFC East when football kicks off this autumn. In the meantime, dark days now, not just for this hockey fan, but for our pal Kevin Hench, his Bruins vanquished in spite of high-end talent, wearing black and gold, deja vu at the hands of the nearly skill-free New York Island. It's inexplicable. <laughs> we got to talk about the Sixers, what they're going to do against the Hawks upcoming here. Make sure you bet it all at FanDuel.com slash minus three. It's the word minus the number three and all the fun available for you at minus three pod. You heard me say it there, Hench. We'll give you our best bets for the next uh, couple few days here in just a second here. But how are you? You met the same fate I did, delayed by what, like 10, 14 days. It's embarrassing to lose to the Islanders like that. Eh? Um, it's actually emancipating to at least get our asses kicked. I mean, the endless, <laughs> the endless bad puck luck was just that's real torture. But uh, being the the inferior team, much better, right? Because then you just go, oh, win the Stanley Cup, like. Our third and fourth lines are blanks, blanks. No, no, ch- no shots on goal. No chances. Nothing. And you know we got our eleventh and twelfth defensemen out there flopping around. And and the funny thing about the Islanders is, can't imagine how much I would love them if they were my team. Obviously, it's completely annoying to lose to a team that you call rightly nearly skill free. But that said. Just four lines of grinders and workers. They never stop. That would be such a fun team to root for. And especially when you're beating Crosby and Malkin and Bergeron and Pasternak. Like, imagine how fun that must be for our buddy Sal and Nick. Well, and and, and also, of course, Mikey Meatball celebrating. He kind of sort of guaranteed victory, although I think... 180 degrees. He refused to say anything about it. And I tried to turn it into a curse, a pox on those Islanders. It didn't work out. He and his pal, Eddie Spaghetti, will chop up uh, the final four for you in just a few minutes here with uh, this week's edition of Spaghetti and Meatballs. Um, Just a couple things very quickly about, uh, about the hockey, and then we'll turn to the NBA here. One is another little bit of deja vu. Those Islanders who were overmatched to begin with, again, back to forget the Penguins and Bruins similarities 2021. How about the 2021 Penguins and the 1993 Penguins? First place Penguins, last place Islanders battling it out. And you figure, oh, well, the Pen should win this because their best player, or at least the one who wears the C, Anders Lee slash Pierre Turgeon back in 93, both out for the series. Oh, we should make quick work of them. And it didn't uh, end up going that way. And you know what else is similar about 93? The Blue Blanque Rouge were still inexplicably floating around. We may still wind up with a Habs. It's unlikely, but 
how can you bet against it now? The Islanders and the Habs. Who knows what's going to happen? We await uh, what happens between the Avs and the Knights there to to resolve all that. The other thing is, Hench, I know you couldn't enjoy it any more than I enjoyed it, like I say, a week or two ago. But when your team is on the brink of a victory, especially ending a playoff series, I submit that, of course, it's fun when overtime you score the whole thing. Ah, you, uh, players throw their gloves in the air and jump over the dashers and <clears throat> and celebrate. That's obvious. But the more subtle, satisfying way to win, I, I within a game, while the game is still happening, once the empty netter, once the, once the goal goes in in overtime, the game is over. While the game is still actually underway, the empty netter is the most satisfying way to clinch a victory in sport. Barely eking out, that gets the win. The empty netter with a lead, especially in front of a ho- uh, in front of the home crowd, just barely better than victory formation. That's the place. How say you? <laughs> well, I mean, I like the pointer that makes it a two possession game right i mean victory formation and the empty net are are not athletic feats i mean for pure satisfaction don't you want you know breaking a tackle to get the first down that means you can run out the clock that means you can go into victory formation better than actual victory formation Um, it's up to you you don't tell me what to think you think how you what you want to think and share your opinions that's the whole point that's what we're doing when your thoughts are wrong as your friend obviously i'm obliged to point out i'm talking about what i'd like that that's the best i've been in i've been in buildings when that happens when when it's like oh hold on and your and your tense is all balls and you just can't and then oh he's a empty net go that go in ah we did we're gonna win we're gonna move on but then they still have to play out the rest of the clock it's the greatest when they're clearing the bench, and, when they take the starters out at basketball and they're like 27 seconds left and you're up 14 and you know your team's going to win, that's great to be able to give the stars a standing out. Walking up the 18th with your ball safely on the green, maybe 15 feet from the hole, you're you're up three strokes uh, or up four strokes. You just need a three putt. That would be pretty good to be in that spot. But I'm going to stick with what I have. I say empty net one, victory four. There's nothing better. You vanquished. It's not even close. We whipped you to the tune of we're able to run this this nonsensical thing because we just are looking to spin the clock now and there's nothing you can do about it. That's good times. Well, it is no very good times. But I just think if you're talking – Satisfying versus pure euphoria, an overtime goal. My God, that's the um, that's that's the money shot. See, you don't get it. That's why. See, you're. That's why sports are appealing uh, to people like Hench. LCD, lowest kind. He just likes the. See, I, I, I'm uh, a brainier sports fan. I appreciate what that what. Um, you know, the doing it within the game indicates. It means we have not just fluked our way one play more than you got. We we dominated you to the tune of being able to just run out the clock without you having any ability to stop it. All right. So that's that. I, let, I, me add, yeah. let me add one. Let you me have add any one. final thoughts on this? Okay, well, that's great. Go ahead, Daddy I, Spaghetti. How are you? 
I like your I'm I'm well uh, I like your answers there I think one that kind of qualifies both of like what Hench is saying with the euphoric feeling but then also knowing that you won the game so to set the scene your your team that you're rooting for is on defense it's now fourth down other team has the ball they're they're driving they need the first if they get the first down let's just say they can win it with a field goal or something and your team gets a sack I think somewhere in that play where you see the defender line up the QB and you're like oh this is it like that split second that you know that he's going to slam him and that's the end of the game and then you get to I guess you know if the clock runs out great if not you know victory formation I guess anyway so your point still holds true there but the the play to get to the victory where you just you know you stop them on fourth down but it's a clean stop not like a reach for the the the, the pylon try to get the first down market no no chain gang coming in just a clean sack stop them well short that is an awesome feeling to uh, to turn the ball over on down that's a great one I love that one and that that is the best and it to me it's not as good as when it's when, when they're passing the ball because we've seen now too many um we've seen too many hail marys work out so that's it's almost not like oh my god just play oh they're gonna throw it in the end zone oh my god please knock this thing down it's more relief when when the ball hits the ground and and in fact i almost my Steelers almost lost to the colts a trip to the Super Bowl that way. So that spooks me too much. I'm with you. On the ground, though, it's fourth and inches, and they're going for it. They got to get it. And the defense holds, and you can see it with your naked eye. Like, they stopped them there, and we get the ball. That is a, that's one of the, the uh, better moments uh, for a sports fan out the, there. The one problem with Spaghetti's example, though, is in today's NFL, 50-50 that it's roughing the passer. <laughs> So, so you've got to go like, oh my God, we won the game. I just have to wait another beat to see if that perfectly clean tackle in the quarterback's midsection with the shoulder, no helmet involved in the strike zone, didn't drive him to the ground, laid him gently on the 30 yard line. Is it going to get a flag? Like they have successfully ruined that moment. It's, it's unbelievable how the protect the Fabergé eggs that our NFL quarterbacks has gotten to the point where this incredibly satisfying play of your guy whipping the left tackle, getting to the quarterback, tackling him to the ground, quarterback born pads, quarterback has a helmet, and you literally have to hold your breath every fucking sack because the NFL has managed to ruin this part of the game. It, it's, you know, I mean, you go back to that Super Bowl, that roughing the passer on Chris Jones, like, I know it's 31-9, I know they're going to win, but, like, there's a succession of penalties in that game where you're like, oh, my God. He, he, guys, it's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Oh, I mean, listen, we can get in the wayback machine, but you're absolutely right. The final score doesn't indicate what happened there. That was to, to let Tom Brady get into the locker room and be able to gather himself and, and the situation that the last 30 minutes presented was that, that really you, you shake up that last two minutes or whatever it was of the first half, the the game could track very differently in, in the second half if they had called that one. Right. But you're the larger point you make is absolutely right. The pro football more than any other sport. And we're all three progressive technologically and, and otherwise. Um, so, of course, we want the calls to be correct. And so it's unsatisfying. The notion of human error. Hey, players screw up. So do refs. That, no, not, the refs are not supposed to. They're supposed to be objective third parties. By definition, they're supposed to be right. So if you can get it right by video, theoretically, 
that's what we all want. But it has taken away the visceral glee because if you're forget about, you know, uh, uh, why victory formation is a pure pleasure at this point is because you're not worried about flags. If your guy scores an 87 yard touchdown on the last play, you're like, yay, but wait, 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 let's hold on. What's are there any flat late flags? Can I enjoy? Yes, this is good. Where well, are they going to review it first? Are they reviewing it to conv- it? it Okay. Yes. Okay. Now I, I, now I am experiencing joy. You know, it's, um, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about it, but, uh, well, I mean, the thing that refs need to do is go, okay. If what happened, what was, what transpired? Was there an advantage gained by the defender brushing the helmet of the quarterback? Like what, what, and versus what advantage is gained by me giving this fucking team a first down as opposed to bringing the punter out, like, can you not do that math in the moment that like, I am deciding a huge part of this game, you know, a 15 yard penalty first down, like seven points, like, wow, wow. You, you know, the more important the game, the more you have to err on the side of not deciding it. And I get it, but you're kind of making a case to to your, what you're saying is officials should contextualize the call they're about to make, but then you'd wind up with what we both have bellyached about quite a bit over the last uh, month or so, which is inconsistent officiating in the NHL. Like, Oh, that's not a penalty in the playoffs. It is of course in the regular season. And then that favors the, the um, more mediocre teams and players is to be able to clutch and grab. So that doesn't exactly solve it. By the way, you also mentioned that you don't like the Fabergé eggs named QBs. You know, it's called the Tom Brady rule. So it's ironic that a Patriot. I'm aware. I'm okay, aware. I'm just letting you know. Just so, and also, so you know, there's also something called the Mel Blunt rule, which is uh, Mel Blunt was was too good. He was too dominant, so they had to so they had to make rules against the Steelers' great cornerback to uh, to even the playing field a little bit because he was so dominant that NFL offenses couldn't go, and they thought like, how are we going to make this right? We can't just let the Steelers win it forever. And you have the Tom Brady rule, so muzzle tough because right. he's too because he doesn't what like year? when people touch him. What year did they did they uh, hamstring Mel Blunt? Seventy eight. And what happened there? The uh, the so called passenger for the first half of the Steelers dynasty, Terry Bradshaw, went on to win the nineteen seventy eight MVP. However, you want to play it, the Pittsburgh Steelers will go out there and do it. But that was only forty some years ago now. So let's <laughs> talk about uh, let's talk about the here and now, shall we? And as you can see, I decided, even though it's summertime and it's a lovely sunny day, and, and in fact, I just got back from. Uh, from my daughter's uh, eighth grade graduation, which was great. And I ran into a mutual friend of ours, Hench, uh, Allen, big Packers fan. I ran into a Eagles fan. We He bent my ear about what do I think about Jalen Hurts and everything else. And then we talked the Aaron Rodgers melodrama. Maybe if we have time, I'd like to, because he loves music, Allen does. And so then he and I turned to some music. Maybe we'll do that in a second here. But let's do our best bets. It's very hot out here, but I am ice cold when it comes to making the picks. Ergo, um, I look like Papa Smurf a little bit here. I'll, I'll I'll just throw one out to get us rolling here. My picks have been so bad. I encourage you, nay, demand that you fade me. I picked the the Nuggets to win on Thursday night on the money line. You saw how that worked out. I told you the Bruins <laughs> were a lock to beat to beat the Islanders. You saw how that. I mean, whatever. I I, I don't have to recount it for you. It's painful enough. All I'll tell you is I'm going to give you a couple on the Sixers and Hawks. I'm going to say on the road Sixers. Given a point and a half, 
I'm cautiously optimistic that they have established interior dominance that the Hawks just ultimately can't. They're throwing bodies at Embiid. I think that this means now in round three of this best of seven, Tobias Harris, who has scored at worst 19 this entire playoffs, is a decent bet. He's gone over 25 a couple of times in these playoffs already. Um, I say plus 20, uh, 25 plus, you can get Tobias Harris at plus 200. They are going to throw everything as they continue to and bead um, to you know, pretty much no avail. But I think Tobias Harris gets his even a little bit more than he already has. So go with him uh, scoring 25 or more in that. And like I say, you can get that at plus 200. Um, Hench, how say you? Pretty good last week. Uh, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, I said bet the over. Two out of three games went over. Uh, the Nets came through, obviously. Um, and and But uh, wrong, I was wrong on the Sixers game one. Uh, I'll, get, I'll do Sixers-Hawks last because I think that's the, the hardest one. Yankees. Phillies Sunday. Ringo Herman quietly during this up and down Yankees season has has been so solid for them. I really like the Yankees on Sunday against the Phillies. Domingo Herman on the hill. I like the Nets in Game Four. Okay, so no matter what happens in Game Three, which will be we'll be putting this up right about around tip off maybe. But if the Bucks win Game Three. Game four. If the Bucks lose game three, the Nets are sweeping them. So game four is the lock, regardless of the outcome of game three. So take the Nets, lay the points in game four. Hawks Sixers. This is tough. The Hawks losing a, a you know, DeAndre Hunter, like you, you really, it's really tough to lose a key member of your rotation. Uh the the Sixers did seem to expose them, as Sheck pointed out, uh, on the interior. In, in game two. That said, Jake Milton doesn't come in and score 14 points in seven minutes. I re- that game was going the other way. It was kind of a, even though it ended up being a blowout, it was a weird fluke. So I am doing the gutsy thing in game three, taking the Hawks. I mean, gutsy, I don't know that you need to pat yourself on the back for your tremendous courage, but okay. I think that's a, a pretty good one. That should be a, a lively joint. The energy will be there and everything else. Okay, that's a good one. Um, Eddie Spaghetti, how say you? Are you? Uh, that's it? You're, those are your big three there for the next yeah. few days, Hench? All right, Eddie Spaghetti, bring it on home here. I'll uh, I'll stick with this. In his this. tank top. I, I thank you, by the way, for covering yourself up. I did I, the, cover the dignity. it, yeah. But, I'm, you know. anti, I'm anti-tank top. Kevin Hench is my age. Hench, where do you come down on 20-somethings walking around in tank tops? I find it unseemly. I don't need to see your armpit hair. Well, obviously, when I was a 20-something and completely fucking ripped, I never missed an opportunity. So it would be hard for me now. I would sound like exactly what I am. Broken down old man who resents the ripped uh, stallions like spaghetti here. <laughs> you gotta get, you really are old. You got to get them eyes fixed. Ripped stallion, Eddie spaghetti. I don't know who you're confusing them with. Well, I can see from the neck up. <laughs> That's true. I forget sometimes you and Eddie spaghetti have never met one another. That's uh, I look forward to that day sooner rather than later. We've got to amend that now that they're opening things up. All right, Spaghetti. 
get a uh, get us right here. What are your yes, best bets for the uh, to stick with what Hench was just talking about with the the Hawks seventy sixers series? I I said it a few weeks back. I always thought the Hawks were not for real, better than the Knicks, but not better than the seventy sixers. The Sixers won this game by a, a large margin. That's with Ben Simmons. I think only attempted three or four field goals. Not that he's a great shooter, but he didn't even get involved offensively. Yeah, and and as t- you know, as it is, he's a phenomenal defender in the perimeter. I think they're going to win uh, the next game. They're going to what are they given? It's a point and a half as of now on fanduelcom slash three. Yeah, 76ers minus 1.5 on Saturday. I like that. Uh, quick baseball pick. Not going to go Yankees. I'm going to go back to the well with DeGrom. They're playing the Padres at home in New York. I mean, we just saw what DeGrom did in San Diego. Uh, our friend Cousin Sal was there. This whole family watched him absolutely dominate, had like 11 Ks. There's no reason to think that he could not do that again if the Mets are given a, a run Especially a if he's putting his bear spray and uh, and uh, gorilla glue and whatever else they're putting on the ball now. Sp- yeah, spider tack. Uh, but apparently, hey, they, they, apparently the Mets came out and said DeGrom doesn't do that, but his teammate uh, Pete Alonso, which we can get into later, did say that the MLB uh, are the one that's like they're the one as a whole that's doctoring all these baseballs depending on the free agency class I mean it, it's it's a mess but that that's an easy pick though uh, I think with DeGrom at home versus the Padres and to round it out to give a hockey pick I think lock this one in now before the series starts. We still don't know what day it's going to start yet because of the Habs, uh, uh, you know, Vegas or Colorado series. But these teams are so similar. The Isles and the and the Lightning in this playoff run that I think the series is going to go seven games. And right now you can get that at plus 210 on FanDuel.com slash minus three. Uh, just looking at their stats really quick. I mean, like... Wait a second, wait a second. You think that you think the Lightning and Islanders are similar? Uh, how they're playing their their stats in the playoffs right now are very similar yeah they're not the same style of play is not the same but the results are similar and the series last year won six i obviously know islanders want revenge we all know how good of a coach barry trotz is but like just looking at their uh, some of their numbers like their goal uh goals for and uh the goals against around the same uh you know decimal spot and shots for shots against a lot of stuff very similar to these teams and i i just can't see a team i don't see any series going less than six games uh that you know whether who's playing out of uh the west versus the habs and then the same for this series so i think this one will go seven it went six last year like i said uh I could just, you know, the Islanders, like we said a million times, they just grind you down. You know, I know the Lightning have a high offensive output, but, you know, if you want to even throw, like I said, a bonus, the other series going six games, if you're, if you're going to get Flurry versus, uh, looks that way, Flurry versus Carey Price, two great goaltenders too, they're going to steal games. This is going to be both long series, but uh, again, Islanders, uh, Lightning, plus 210, I think it's going to go seven games. All right. The other, like thing, the, uh, the, the other thing the Lightning have in common with the with the two teams that the Islanders have already vanquished, the Bruins and the Penguins, is if you were picking teams, you would take five or six members of the Lightning before you got to your first fucking Islander. Like, it's so crazy to have these games where it's like, okay, you guys get the first five picks, and we're still going to beat you. Like, how is it happening? Like, And it's weird because I should be rooting for the Islanders against the loathsome Lightning, but you're so residually angry at the team that just beat you. So now I'm conflicted. But I mean, the other thing is like Indians and the Islanders are hockey towns with fan base. Like the idea of a fucking Las Vegas, Tampa Bay final. I mean, I know we've been there before with the Predators and it's like, I know it happens, but like they're, I'm, I'm, I'm constitutionally obliged to hate the Canadians 
uh, except that Dominic Ducharme went to the University of Vermont, a fellow Catamount. And I do find myself rooting not just for the underdog, but for the original six team. Like, it, you know, you're playing against fucking Las Vegas. What has happened? The, the overexpansion of the NHL uh, into the markets where the only 20,000 hockey fans are in the arena. Like, what is a what is a radio broadcast get a hockey radio broadcast get in Tampa Bay? All 20,000 fans of hockey are in the arena. It is a fascinating thing you bring up. Um, and generally speaking, I will always go with the tenured fan base, the more pa- passionate fan base in situations like this. But as I said to you guys a couple of weeks ago, I think if if I were Gary Bettman in the NHL, he made a long-term investment that I was very cynical about. But it's hard to watch those Tampa and Miami and uh, and Carolina matchups and the you know in Nashville and other when you when you see the excitement in those buildings I, I'm with you hench the, where there are 20,000 fans one for the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA we've established I don't even know if they have 20,000 fans everybody's more consumed with the Knickerbockers and that side of thing and that team ironically is going to win the NBA title when you have all these fan bases who have suffered for so long in the NBA Phoenix I the Sixers fans, as diehard as they've been, they've sat. I mean, the the process has been going on for a decade. Dr. J retired 30 years ago, and they've watched the Celtics soar. The Lakers, those were their chief rivals. The Bucks are better, have a better, you know, 25 years than what the Sixers have had, I guess. Well, maybe Iverson. But anyway, you get my point there. Utah's never won a title. All these teams are set up to do it. It's going to end up being the Nets on the other side of things. I'm with you completely. I will root for the diehard fan bases. Um, you know, good for you, Lightning. You're the most talented team, but I, I don't know. I can't imagine in the Tampa St. Pete area, especially with Tom Brady there and winning a Super Bowl, are there really that many fans of the Lightning? I find it hard to believe. That said, as exciting as it's been watching those games, I would take the Anaheim Ducks, who definitely only have 18,000 fans. I've I've lived... In Southern California <laughs> for 20 years. I, this, I mean, how else the, How else would one gauge these things except with anecdotes? I have worked in sports for 20 years in Southern California. People periodically will come up to me and recognize that I talk about sports, and so they like to talk. There's never been, not a friend, not a stranger walking down the street, no one in a sports bar, no one has ever come up to me and asked about the Anaheim Ducks. Nobody, t- there's never been a conversation conducted in Southern California about the Anaheim Ducks, period. Move them to Portland, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. We're cooking with gas, NHL. If you go to Disneyland in Anaheim, you are more likely to see a guy wearing a Leon Dreisaitl Edmonton Oilers jersey at Disneyland than an Anaheim Ducks jersey. It is, it is shocking uh, they could they could be playing like you know how in Wonder Woman they live in like a uh, alternate vortex like the Anaheim Ducks might not exist I don't know like there's no proof you never meet anyone who's like oh, that's my team that's my team Brian Getzloff from way back <laughs> it's shocking you know we live here we live here I Party, not like you mentioned you know our buddy Alan Keller like. 
I know lots of Green Bay Packer fans. We live in L.A. We know lots of Green Bay Packer fans. They're super passionate. They're knowledgeable. We live in Southern California. You just do not meet a Ducks fan. I do want to hear about, I do want to get your thoughts, Hench, on what Spaghetti was just talking about there, this bizarre phenomenon in Major League Baseball that kind of, I guess, explains, I don't know fully to what degree it explains it. It, it is kind of like the steroid thing of 90, uh, 98 was when it really came to a head there with Sosa and McGuire, but pretty much for all the 90s, it was going on there. First thing is that Rob Parker pointed out on, um, I believe on Lepper, Lemon Pepper Parlay, as a matter of fact, is first thing is it makes keeping the steroid guys out of the Hall of Fame untenable now, right? I mean, you can't now say like, yeah, we're keeping those guys out or, or like how much longer are you going to kick this violations, moral and ethical, keep those guys out of the hall? You can't now, right? I mean, it's got to be like, ah, forget it. The dam's broken. We got to let it in. And the other thing it, it makes me think is that, it's always the most pious. Whoever resides up on Mount Pius, that's why I, I had to create Mount Pius so that they could live amongst themselves and look down at, at, uh, the, at us mortals. Because the irony is the ones who are the most pious are always up to no good themselves. It is like a congressman who is a homophobe and wants to create anti-gay laws. He's the one who's bonking feet under the bathroom stall at the, at the train station. That's it's always it's your guilty conscience talking. That's MLB with all the purity and the unwritten rules and everything else. How say you? Um, well, one of the things I've loved about it is that it's created these complicated divisions. Like Josh Donaldson goes after Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is Aaron Judge's teammate. Aaron Judge makes his living hitting. Aaron Judge can't be really be on the pitcher side of this debate but he has to stick up for his teammate, Garrett Cole. And you just, every interview is more awkward than the previous one. Pirates fan, Garrett Cole obviously threw very hard in Pittsburgh, but his stuff got significantly filthier when he went through the, the Houston Astros cheating machine. I mean, the Houston Astros, obviously, much like Nassau down the street, they're innovating constantly in ways to cheat the game and, and, steal championships so Garrett Cole goes to I mean I think Trevor Bauer pretty much outlined the whole thing he explained how it works how spin rate works he told us everything we need to know the guy from a pirate standpoint of view where you're like hey what the fuck is Charlie Morton Charlie Morton goes to Houston it's like who adds eight miles an hour to their fastball in in their 30s like what is happening down there uh and the answer is we now know is is spin rate and spider tack. And, and so, so in the same way that, that steroid users, to your point, were increasing their bat speed through, through these illegal substances, pitchers are, in create, are increasing their spin rate through uh, foreign substances on the ball. And I agree, it's cheating and cheating. And the steroids guys are appearing before Congress and the pitchers are getting the, uh, it's always been part of the game. Understand because I'll tell you this what's not a good part of the game, and it's why we're having this conversation is that if you look at Dave Kingman's career, three true outcomes home run, strikeout, walk league average now that is the league average. Every player in your lineup is Dave Kingman, that is the league average, which it turns out is super boring because 
it diminishes the most exciting play in baseball, the home run, completely diminished. And runner on third, less than two outs, doesn't mean shit. Everybody strikes out half the time, and everyone can throw 100 miles an hour. Like, the game's in a bit of crisis. I mean, it, it, baseball always seems to be on the edge of almost becoming a non-major sport. And the every guy throws 100 with filthy movement, and every batter is Dave Kingman – it really makes it a tedious, not that fun game to watch. Uh, so there need to be some suspensions. Like, yeah, no more, no more garbage on the ball. Sorry, sorry, Charlie Morton, you got to go back to throwing eighty-nine miles an hour. <laughs> that, I mean, deja vu again, right? Same as Barry Bonds. Like you could, you couldn't have juiced while you were in Pittsburgh, Bonds. We could have used some of those home runs against the Braves in in October's past. You waited to get to the Giants. Hey, Garrett Cole, why not? Why weren't you doing that jazz uh, on the hump there in PNC? You had to wait to get down to Houston. I don't yeah, care for the lack the, of innovation, right? That's where they have the tubs of goop down in Houston. It's fucking cesspool. It's what's um, funny too about the steroid era is like that also pitchers were taking steroids as well, but now it's just strictly pitchers that have the advantage. Or the batters can't take anything anymore because everyone gets tested. So it's like at least back then there was you know it was going both ways, but now it's like the pitchers are on one end that are that are just flat out dominating. And it's, it's funny like what you said about like with Aaron Judge, like they're in a weird spot. And kind of like what I mentioned before with Pete Alonso, it's like well you know some people on his staff, his pitching staff may take stuff as well. But these hitters all know the pitchers do it. Like, they've had since, like you said, the beginning of time. Whitey Ford used to say, I don't want that. If the baseball hit the dirt, he would say, yeah, give me that baseball back. I don't want a new, I don't want a fresh baseball. They would use their belt. They'd scuff it any which way they could possibly do it. But I I think, weirdly, batters are okay with pitchers. They know they always have something on their hat. They know they may, you know, we had the the Michael Pineda pine tar in the neck kind of game. But for the most part, most pitchers have stuff on their hat. They have a rosin bag, whatever it may be. They're okay with that. And I think... The issue is that the MLB just not coming down as a whole. And if this is true about them changing the baseball, whether it's, you know, they're they're deadening the baseball, they're juicing it up depending on which free agents sign where. I mean, it is, you know, I know people make a joke about hockey being regional. It's a Canadian thing. And a lot of people in certain cities don't like basketball. I don't know how any, like, baseball is far and away the fourth best sport made out of all the major sports. It may not be fourth best anymore with, you know, UFC and stuff there. It is such a bad place, and everything Hench just said in that rant was uh, a, a plus spot on. It's it's so bad right now. Well, it, it's in part because there aren't enough people who make, uh, sincerely make analogies like Hench just did. I go with the more romantic version of Dave Kingman with Roy Hobbs. Uh, you know, Roy Hobbs only struck out or hit a home run or tore the cover off the ball, literally in the movie. Dave Kingman puts it into into <laughs> into uh, more negative terms there. That was not as romantic a career as the one Roy Hobbs had. And maybe to put the final nail in the coffin of baseball, we just need uh, for it to follow suit with boxing and, and let Logan Paul or Jake Paul or both uh, let them form a battery for a team there that that'll uh, do away with any integrity that the that baseball has left remaining here well like we say the nba playoffs are here they're getting closer and closer to the finish line and you'll be in hoops heaven betting all the action on FanDuel sportsbook so many exciting matchups FanDuel is taking the excitement to an even higher level because new and existing users 
I said that right. All customers can bet risk-free through the playoffs. Once you have your FanDuel Sportsbook account, you can bet one same-game parlay risk-free every every week. That means you can combine multiple bets for an even bigger win. And if you don't, you'll get up to $10 back. I love the FanDuel Sportsbook. You hear me talk about it all the time. Quick payouts, fun ways to bet the action there. I know. I haven't been getting any of them right, but it's still fun for me. And you know what? To deviate from my bad picks, let's turn to Eddie Spaghetti for a same-game parlay. Lay one on us here, postseason style, won't you, Eddie Spaghetti? Yep, I'm going to go with the Nets-Bucks series. will be the game four, so we don't know yet. could be you know the, the Nets trying to go ahead 3-1, or it could be the final game of the series. But what I do like, especially with the Nets on the road, I mean, FanDuel is just begging for you to take it. Uh, three and a half points for the Nets. You got to take that. They're getting points on the road. I don't care if they're playing Milwaukee, they're playing in Mars, whatever. Take those points. Going to combine that same game parlay with Kevin Durant points over, Kyrie points over. Uh, it'll probably be around 28 ish for Kyrie. Durant, like around 32. Um, right now, I'm seeing around minus 108 uh, for Durant, minus 110 for Kyrie Irving. They're, they're, you know, without James Harden, they're just going to, they're dominating the ball. Durant looks so good. Kyrie's playing really, really well, but not a lot of people are talking about his play of late as well. They're the better team, so ride with that for the same game parlay. I agree. Um, it's just got to be dispiriting if you're on the Bucks. Harden hasn't even played yet. Um, the Or barely played. Um, but quick correction, the Nets are busy, so they can't play on Mars. But uh, watch your movie theaters. LeBron will be playing there, I think, in the next few weeks or so with some intergalactic stars there's your movie promo um all right very nice let's talk about college football it's weird because we focus on the northeast it is an oddball thing to me that um it's something that i've belly ached about uh, quite a bit in fact where new york city's concerned and also this applies to chicago those are the two epicenters of basketball it's strange to me that Neither city is good at college basketball. This leads me to why is college football not relevant or relatively speaking, not as important in the Northeast as it is in the rest of the country. Um, but college basketball, isn't it strange? I mean, you know, Lou Carnesecca and, uh, you know, Chris Mullen and, and that high end team was, you know, 36 years ago now that they went to that final four where they played uh, Hoya Paranoia. Um isn't it weird that you that they can't hire a New York City-based head coach who just says, like, shame the devil. If you're a 17-year-old and you're a high-end prospect and you're trying to – you go outside the city limits, you shouldn't be allowed back in the five boroughs. Same should go for Chicago. Like, go hire some charismatic Chicago guy in, at the Paul and be like, you're going to go to Iowa? No, no, no shame on you you're not why you're gonna be loyal to that state you're gonna be loyal to your sweet home chicago or shame the devil how somebody can't figure out how to crack that code and make st john's a powerhouse if, if where all the best them. basketball players are in new york city and chicago is crazy to me if they anyhow what that's the only what's shot. that i said if they could pay him if they could pay him that's the only shot to get a kid to go to st john's and have his you know his face on a billboard and he can make money off it down broadway or something besides well, that it's like gonna spider up, grip or in, whatever Lexington. Or well, that is. But I mean, it's available to anybody. Everybody can do the same thing. Everybody can take steroids. Just some teams, some guys do and some guys don't. So the St. John's coach needs to start taking steroids, paying money out. Regardless of the, uh, the compensation, illegal or otherwise, like the whole college basketball, you can't build. I mean, Duke's tried, I guess, but like when you're 
dealing with one and dones, and now there's this new high school league that it's like we're just going to pay these guys. You know, Brandon Jennings going to Europe, like start there. There are all these like college basketball and building a strong recruiting base in your local city. Antiquated, like it doesn't matter. Like if you're if you are the best player in New York City, your job is to play professional basketball. And if college basketball helps you do that, four months fine. But really, at 17, you should not be giving any cartilage. You should not be jumping one more time without compensation. Now, of course, college football has the built-in fix. They have the monopoly. They have free labor, unpaid labor in perpetuity. And I don't know when the last time you drove around New York City is was, but uh, not a lot of football fields. Not a lot of uh, real estate to have great football in these major urban places where basketball is king. Uh, so I do think the SEC has, you know, the built-in advantage of just, you know, these football, football is king in, in that, in that region. And you get at least three years of free labor out of these kids, bring them out, use them up. Maybe they make money. Maybe they don't. The point is Nick Saban gets another title and another Aflac commercial. So whatever. Sorry, kids. Never ceases to amaze me when I walk around New York city, like when you look in a, a, what appears to be like a third rate kind of diner, like how do they afford that? How do they stay open year after year? It seems like that would be way too expensive. Um, always remarkable. I hear you, but still, um, your point, there's something bigger than that. It's, it's gotta be that the why I guess it's the diminishment of the what would have been the college football powerhouses that has impacted the I mean, it's not as though people in New York City look at Eddie Spaghetti there. People care about college football, but it is weird that it isn't as relevant that the institutions of the Northeast don't produce the powerhouses anymore. And I guess that since Army went away, that was the powerhouse along with Notre Dame. Right. And Navy. I don't know. I don't have the, the answer to how it ended up taking second place. I guess the Yankees dominance maybe had something to do with that. And then the giants of football got good and in the fifties and that trumped um, college football. But either way, I think if you're a sports fan in 2021, most people care about, uh, about college football. And I don't care for the, the 12 team playoff that seems all but certain at this point to happen. Um, We've talked about this hench, for 20 years now, you, me, and Sal have gone back and forth on this. I love college football, you see, because it's based more on merit than any other sports playoff system. <clears throat> when it was vote, it was imperfect when, when it was a bunch of schnooks who were behind their computers voting on it. But we could collectively agree who was the best team almost every year. When it was all done on New Year's Eve, at uh, New Year's Day, at nightfall, when the Orange Bowl and Sugar Bowl wrapped up, just about every year, you felt very satisfied with the knowledge that the best team is obviously Oklahoma now. We know Jamel Holloway and Brian Bosworth, and that team's the best because they just beat another powerhouse team in the Orange Bowl, and there's not much of a case for anybody else. Now, it just gets worse and worse. Four teams, okay. Uh, the fourth 
best team in the country can make can can cobble together a reasonable case that like yeah but we lost LSU and it was in Baton Rouge and so we really are better than who you have at number one right now so we deserve a shot at it in your four-team playoff once you start getting into like the seventh team or whatever like they have no claim they're too far from the top spot I don't like I know people think I'm a, a curmudgeon and I know it would never change the, uh, the the biggest engagement that a league can possibly create among uh, the millions of sports fans is the goal here. How many people can get, how many eyeballs you can get on the TV, how many people you can get through the stands and otherwise. That doesn't mean that the be- that the best team wins anymore. Like, I don't like wild cards winning the Super Bowl. I just don't like, I, I know that makes me a curmudgeon. I find that unsatisfying. And people say, oh, you didn't complain when the Steelers won as a six seed. Yeah, I did. I didn't like it, but I mean, okay, those are the rules. I'm not going to not enjoy it, but I didn't think it was as satisfying as uh, as being one of the top seeds. But college football, by its nature, by its schedule, and the lack of a playoff, or even when it's a best uh, two best teams or even best of four, every game matters on a level that they don't in any other sport. Regular season games in college football are hugely important even if they're being played on September the 5th. Because once you lose a game, you lose any claim if you're in the Big Five. You lose a proper claim to you you can't impugn our track record for this season. And now this goes away. Once you get like eight, 12 teams, too many. How say you, Hench? Well, I would say that curmudgeon is the nicest word I can think of to describe your position on this. I don't think you're allowed to say the half the words that were going through my mind while you're making this fucking idiotic point. Like, okay, so when the Associated Press told us who was the best team in the country, that was better than when future New England Patriot Mac Jones shredded Ohio State. Like, what? Like, did you really have a lot of doubt who was the best team at the end? I hate fucking Alabama, but I was pretty sure they were the best team And expanding the playoff format, like college football game to upset a team, like so many things have to go right. And I I say, you know, I don't want a 64 team college football playoff, but 12 is better than four. Uh, And I'm assuming it'll be, it'll be eight and four, right? Four buys. Is that, I mean, if it's 12, you get four buys and then the next, the next teams have to win three games and the, and the top four just have to win Two, three. Right. The um, rules uh, to jump in quickly. The rules so the top four would get buys. Now the one caveat: uh, it's not just you know one through twelve ranked. It's under the proposal of the twelve team format. The four highest ranked conference champions would be seeded one to four and receive a first round buy. Teams five to twelve would play each other in the first round in the home field of the higher ranked team. And then the quarter and the semifinals would be played in bowl games. And then obviously the national championship would be a neutral site. So with that being said, Notre Dame, which was the four last year would actually be the five seed because Oklahoma uh, won the Big 12 and they would leapfrog them. So that's, that's the one interesting thing about these new rules. But wouldn't it be exciting? Like, okay, so instead of just like fucking twiddling our thumbs all fall, to your point, Shaq, of like every game matters. Um, yeah, Clemson and Alabama are going to be in the final four. So every game doesn't really matter because we know two of the final four every year. Now, the 81 Clemson championship team, that was exciting. So if you if you give teams a chance to go on a run, maybe you could break this monopoly that certain programs have on college football 
where people go, you know what, I am going to go to that school because, you know, they had that thrilling run where they upset Alabama and then they upset Clemson. I don't know, like, I think more proving it on the field, fewer, you know, those fucking things where they go, well, Ohio State was on the bubble and they got screwed last year, but the committee was up all night. Like, more teams, so you can just go, hey, we beat their ass. We beat their ass on the field. Sports, not the Associated Press crowns a champion or a bunch of fucking rich douchebags sit around a room and go, uh, I think Ohio State's the fifth best team in the country. It's like, no, because then when you get down to 12, the number 13 team can't complain. The number 13 team can't say we should have been in it. 12 is a good number. I'm not, I, I, but it's not a gathering of random bright people. It's not like Daniel Day Lewis has a vote in who makes the college football tour. It's people who watch the games, presumably. And you always agreed. My pushback on that, on what you say is, you didn't disagree with what the results were. When, when at what point you? It was as unsatisfying as when, uh, you know, I'm trying. Uh, what, what's the when? When you know the Florida Marlins. It undermines the quality of the sport when the New Jersey Devils win the Stanley Cup or the Florida Marlins win. It's it's unsatisfying. But there's no that happen. How often did that happen? There's no left wing lock in football. No, there's not. You can't game the system in football. Like there's a line of scrimmage and someone has to dominate it. I hear you, but the playoff as it was and it's been diminished over the years of the BCS but up until the start of the BCS it was every week was a playoff game why can't people appreciate the greatness of that every time you go out on the field oh you're playing temple at home well you should smoke temple wait a minute you stump they barely survived against temple that was a legitimate knock on your uh, national title chances, even being in the game with Temple, not, even if you survived it. And if you lose, you lose control of your destiny. You no longer have a claim to like, well, we're still obviously the best team. That was glorious. And unlike anything else in sports and what's better, uh, what's great about sports is the distinctions between them. Everything, every, because something works in one professional league doesn't mean it applies to every other. That's what was great about college football is that it stood alone with its own unique way of establishing who was champion and the best part of it was uh, all through the holidays bowl games bowl games fun games fun games all uh, all coming to one big head on new year's day where you sat around and you watched five bowl games and by the end of it you knew who was the national championship uh, national champion just as certainly as you know it now just uh, it's as untitled. the only thing i'll say is the asterisk this gets is this is bad now because of the point you made now it's down to basically three or four teams have every good player. And so we do need the shape. All, everything I just said is true for the last 40 years of me watching football. But in the last three or four years, it's become pretty clear. It's the same couple of teams. And the other reason they went to 12 games is for Eddie Spaghetti's Notre Dame. Heaven forbid the, the, the uh, forever independent, whatever, not get to be kissed into the playoffs. This assures the fighting Irish of being in the tournament every single year. I don't get you the can shake your head, but that's and they, true. They, they still play Alabama better than uh, I mean, like I, what is what it is. I don't know like, what that means. I don't know what that even means. But, um, it, but I, I do think like if, if if Boise State or BYU or Utah, just thinking about historically some of the 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 smaller programs that have run the table, like they've beaten everybody they put in front of them, letting them play the big boys, maybe they'll 
Seattle gets smoked, but it's like, if they've beaten all comers, let them keep playing until somebody fucking beats them, and then you have a real champion. If you go 12-0 and 0 and go, yeah, we weren't invited because we play in Idaho. It's because Notre Dame had, don't, that, that's not on me. That's on Eddie Spaghetti's Notre Dame Irish. They had the hold they have on college football. Of course, they shouldn't have been the, the fourth team in the Final Four this past year. Of course, it should have been an undefeated. That's not, tr- that's, that's not correct. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that, no, no, that is not. correct. Cincinnati should have gone because they were undefeated in the same conference. The in the what is it now? Division one A, whatever they call it. I forget. What in they this new it to, in the, this new format, sure, like they're giving. They were undefeated. And they're in that. It's be like, yeah, but I know Washington won that division, but that division stunk. Like, we're not going to put them into the NFL playoffs, are we? We know that team's not good. That ah, they, they don't get to go. That that that's the standard that was applied to Cincinnati. Like, wait, we went undefeated. In, in this in the same set of rules that Notre Dame played die Notre Dame just lost to that team why did they get another bite at the apple we haven't even gotten one that was crazy but that's yes, not crazy is- with their strength of schedule Notre Dame was way harder and and guess what Georgia got Georgia played Cincinnati and Georgia beat them so it's like Cincinnati wasn't good either in this new format sure you have 12 teams who are all vying for a spot and you're saying there's like three or four teams in college that are good it's really two. It's really Ohio State, Alabama. If you look at recruiting, they even teams like Georgia and Auburn and other SEC schools, Florida, no other teams come close. Clemson, they don't come close to the recruiting power of those two schools. So the only way to equalize that is by giving a team, like, and like what Hen said, throw teams in there. If one team wins, they get a shot, then, then they get to say that. Without that, it'll never happen. Why would that have been true? Over and over again. But that's you're making my point. That's exactly right. Notre Dame shouldn't have been in. We saw them. It's sort of like... The, um, they, did, they they are a better team than Cincinnati. I don't get why we're having this conversation for like the fifth it's time. It's sort of like Matt Millen is a lovely guy and everything, but you know, but the idea of like, well, let's get Matt Millen is a draft expert. Like, I don't know if Eddie Spaghetti is a draft expert or not, but one thing I do know based on track record is that Matt Millen isn't a draft expert because of how he drafted when he was in the position to professionally do that for the Detroit Lions. Notre Dame is Matt Millen. Matt Millen, uh, Matt Millen went and played Clemson and got hammered by Clemson. Then their gift for that was like, yeah, they're in the playoff again. They get another try. Well, well, one that I I don't know what Cincinnati would do. I have a pretty good guess what would happen to them against Clemson, but I know for a fact what will happen to Notre Dame because I already saw it. So what are we talking about? That was I, that was. Shank, I feel like when you go back, as you do after every show, and you read the transcript, mm-hmm. you're going to realize that you are making our point. That, yes, throw the Notre Dames and the Cincinnati's and the Boise States and the BYU's into this fucking eight-team soup that will then go up against the Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Hammerlock. So you won't have this 4-5 argument. You'll be having a 12-13 argument, which is so much better because the 13th-seeded team, just they have a loss most likely and they don't have a leg to stand on. By the way, you like watching college football by your own admission. So you want fewer playoff games, less football. I get it. I get it. All right. right. Here's my final point for you about that. Read the transcript. Send an apology. I will. Let me just say one more thing. Let me just say one more thing before we wrap it up here and turn things over to spaghetti and meatballs for some puck here. Um, My favorite college football game, as you know, and you and Sal make a lot of – Dave's a weirdo for saying this. The greatest college football game of all time was Nebraska against Miami. 
Bernie Kosar, upstart Canes with Howard Schnellenberger and all that against the juggernaut, Turner Gill, Irving Fryer, Mike Rogier. Mike Rogier was hurt. Um, but anyway, that game is the greatest. Why? Because the Canes go up two touchdowns twice. Nebraska furiously rallies. The season is on the line. All I don't think we talk nearly enough about the, the balls of this. Tom Osborne. Now he's a he's at a football powerhouse, Nebraska. He needs to win titles to earn, um, you know, the, the the praise of of the Husker fans. There, he could just kick an extra point and win the national title. But what does he do? No, he goes for two. He goes for two. This is this is one of the brassiest moves in sports history. He doesn't get it, but now it lives on forever. Those moments we're gonna lose now as a result of this. That kind of why couldn't that exact same thing? Uh, well. Because you wouldn't, it wouldn't have. Why? Because you have to have okay, a clear winner. But here's the, but here's the point. That was cool that that happened. And in 1970 or whenever that was, when Eric Parsegian kicked the extra point instead of going for two at Michigan State, that made him and the Irish a coward. Don't you see that that exists and rises above the game at, game gotta, result? You gotta, and I don't know if you want to fucking talk about this with your therapist or, but you gotta, because you're, you're so schizophrenic on this. What you're saying. You, you've just, you're waxing poetic about this thing that Tom Osborne did that we don't talk enough about it. This incredible thing of going for the victory. Now, we insist that every game be resolved this way. Like every game has now risen to the level of Tom Osborne courage. And you're like, fuck that. What is it? Don't you want these moments of going for two, don't you want to, you know, the, to have no, the clear cut winner? Forced, That's he's forced what a is. He's forced into the decision. It's like giving John Harbaugh praise for putting Lamar Jackson into the game. Yeah, he was about to get fired with Joe Flacco, so he he took a desperation, he made a desperation move, and it worked out for him. Tom Osborne did it. He didn't have to do it. He did it because he, he's got balls. What Tom Osborne did was awesome, and I'm glad that every coach is now compelled to do it in a 12-team playoff right. format, which will be a thrill. All right. You Great. don't have to watch, though. I don't know what. You can just wait for the final. I don't know how many games. Or, or no, I don't, maybe you can just wait for the newspaper to come out. I, got I don't know news. if you want to watch the football. No, I got good news. I got, I got good news. All my complaints, I'm going to watch. Why? Because what the hell else do I have to do with myself? All right, listen. Great times as always uh, with the great Kevin Hench there. Um, and, uh, and now... Sorry about the Bruins, Hench, but you got the Red Sox, I guess. And who knows? Slipping, Sonic, fading, fading, the, fading, fading. I don't care what Mr. Mick Coley has to say. Boston still in contention for the ignominious Sonic Award for the most, uh, uh, for the toughest sports town. Ooh, to be a fan. Who knows what the Patriots do? They come in third, in fourth place behind the Jets. All bets are off. All right, there goes Hench. Here comes Mikey Meatballs, the victor. Two rounds through. They've won the East Division. It's time now for Spaghetti and Meatballs. Well, we are back. Spaghetti and Meatballs. Eddie Spaghetti here with potentially Stanley Cup uh, champion Mikey Meatballs here. They advanced again. The Islanders did it. Initial thoughts. I mean, I know you stayed pretty cool, calm, collected the entire time. They beat the Bruins uh, in a series that a lot of people didn't think they were going to, you know, come out and win that one, and they did it in the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, wow, this this garbage team somehow pulled it off. I'm not surprised. Are you? Are you surprised? 
I'm a little surprised. I'm a little disappointed, too, because uh, I've mentioned it a bunch. We had the extra points draft. Obviously, took the Bruins. I had the Hurricanes as well. Those teams both lost. Um, so, your Islanders are advancing versus the, the Lightning here. But, yeah, I was I was a little surprised. I thought, especially like the first round with the Bruins when Taylor Hall joins and then he's playing really well, it's like, okay, this is why they got this guy. Like, former Hart winner. He's making the line with Krejci play really well. They have two really, really strong offensive lines. Obviously, we know Boston's even, even without Krug and Chara being gone, you have Mackel, uh, McAvoy and Grizzlick and other guys on the defensive side playing really well. Their defensive metrics are just as good as they've ever been for the Bruins. And then you kind of trust Tugaras. So then I'm thinking, like, wow, this bet may work out. And they're running to the Islanders, who, look, really well coached team. Really, really, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a good solid team. There's no ultra superstars that scare you. It's not a team, and it's not like a Colorado 2.0, like in the East. You know what I'm saying? So I thought the Bruins had that series locked up, but uh, I was wrong. And I, I, I'll eat my plate of crow. It's fine. Uh, it, it is almost uh, admiring to like to see how they are playing because like they're not a. I don't think they're the utmost talented team, but it, there is something to, like I mentioned it before off air with Dave and Hench, and I was like, it's kind of that NFL team that has a really, really good run game and a, and a good defense mm-hmm. and the quarterback is just like just a guy and they kind of, he's along for the ride. And that's kind of how I feel about this, this team. No one really takes him seriously. And then you go and lose a series in six games and like their stadium is crazy. And it's like, people are now afraid of them. I'm speaking way too much. I want to hear your thoughts and you could react to me. And then I have a few questions for you, but yeah. So you, you were, you said you were not surprised in the least. You felt confident the entire way. Is there, is there ever going to be a point either this series or potentially next series, the cup finals where you will feel a little bit nervous. No, I'm, I'm you, confident all the way can through. We check for a pulse. Can we check, can we check for a pulse? <laughs> I'm confident all the way through. We, um, I've said it all year. We, you know, nothing's really changed. This is a good hockey team. It's not like they're, I don't think they're overachieving at all. Okay. I think, you know, they've been here, you know, two years, they've gotten better each year. And I think like last year when they played Tampa, Tampa was more skilled. So uh, it was kind of, but they still took him to six and there were Brock Nelson breakaway goal from going to seven games. So, you know, another year later and they're better. And I think they bought into the system either more. They've upgraded a little bit with Paul Marion's Ajax playing really well right now. So the I, first thing I'll ask you is, uh, and you just brought it up. I, I said in the show before that it's right now on final.com slash minus three, it's plus two ten. For that series to go seven games, that's I think it's going to go seven. I said I don't think any. I think either the next series, even the next series, uh, if it's Vegas, let's just say it's Vegas versus uh, Montreal. I still don't think that's going to go anything less than six games. And mm-hmm. I don't see this series going less than six games. And like you said last year, it did go six games. I think the Islanders are better than they were last year. You could argue the Lightning maybe a little bit worse. I know they had some guys back from injury, but it's you know, but Hedman's playing really well. Who knows? I just think the way their style of play and like how well coached they, they could take them to seven if they're on the brink in Game Six. So I like that series to go seven. Do you like that bet? Yes or no? Yeah, I don't hate it. I, I think it's going to be a tough series because obviously Tampa is very good and the Islanders are the Islanders. And I think when you, you know, you look back to like last year and then this year too, with the team like Montreal and a team like the Dallas stars, how they kind of had that, that grinded out style of play. And then they eventually just beat you. And you're kind of like, what the hell, how did this happen? It's the Islanders, are kind of, I guess they have that, that, that same type of a vibe for them, but I think they're a better team in terms of skill. Mm-hmm. Like, if you match up last year's Dallas Stars with this year's Islanders, I think the Islanders are better in 
pretty much every aspect. And I think it's the same way with the Can- like the Islanders play the Canadians in the in the Stanley Cup Finals, which I know the NHL is begging for. Um, I think oh, you, they don't want a Tampa Vegas uh, series. Yeah, no, I, I think they want rather see the Islanders uh, Canadians. But I think like in that in that series, I, I don't know. I, I think the Islanders match up pretty well, and I, I I would like the victory for that. So you don't think the whole. Does it bother you when people like myself or Dave or whoever else, even like Hench and text messages are saying like this Islanders team does not belong there. They're just like, you don't like the fact that people are calling them just like a grind you out team. You think they actually are a good, um, a good team, a good talented team. It's like a misconception amongst the I mean, general. You know, two years ago, when you look at the team on paper and it's like, oh, this team is not very good. And then they, you know, they overachieve, but it's two years later now and they keep doing the same thing. And Hey, if you want to keep making them underdogs and say, oh, they're not achieving that's fine. It'll just keep making people like me money. You just bet on them every series. So is it shocking that you look at these teams and I was mentioned this before as well, like goals for goals against um, shots for shots against their, the Islanders in the, in the lightning throughout this playoffs are like, they're really neck and neck. Actually, what's funny is the Islanders did play one more game, but they have way more goals for, yeah, they, they um, have the most, I think they have the most goals in the playoffs. They, they do. And that, that to me is a, is a big shock. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but the, the one question I will parlay that too is, um, well, speaking of parlaying is the parlay kid did say Barry Trotz is the single yes. best coach right now in sports. Uh, you have the floor. I agree with that. I mean, okay. like, look, if you look at the team, like, I, they are very, I think they're a very good team. But Barry Trotz has some guys who, like, may not be on NHL rosters on other teams, like Leo Komarov playing on the first line, and they're winning games. Like, Leo Komarov is playing with Jordan Everly and Matt Barzell in place of their captain, Andres Lee. And now one guy on that team is like, oh, get like get Leo Komarov out of there. They all believe they don't there's no friction in house and I Trout just has them like, you know, just believing in what they can do, their abilities, and they get it done. So and, and just to speak on your point too, is it uh you know, I only said the most goals in the playoffs, like we mentioned, and people still call them boring, whatever, boring hockey, but that really just means your team's not scoring goals against them. So Yes, that is true. Uh, so I know I'm not going to get a lot of info out of you. Uh, Dave has tried, Sal has tried, and I'll do my best to say, please give me a serious prediction or how many games, whatever. You probably won't do that, but I will say, as a uh, maybe what you could do is because we, we'll have some time to talk about the series. Obviously, I don't. The games hasn't been announced when it's going to start, but early in the series, what do you expect to see? You know, in game one, game two, what do you early on like? What's what's what are you looking forward to uh, from your side? What are you afraid of from Tampa's side? Uh, what is your mini preview? Yeah, if you don't have to give your your score, I know you won't anyway. So, well, I'll say this: if we're looking for for picks when the Islanders are playing at home, um, check out the money line and see what they are when they're at home. Uh, I don't. It's it's been a nightmare for opposing goalies at the Coliseum. And Vasilevsky is very good, but he quickly. Quick aside: it, how, what is with this whole like National Coliseum is the craziest place? Like you're telling me, if the the Habs couldn't fill up the Bell Center, it wouldn't be the loudest place. Like no, you know, I don't know. No, the Coliseum's louder. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. I gotta um, test the acoustics. It, trust me. If you go to the, if you can attend a National Coliseum game within the next two weeks, you will know how loud it is. But Vasilevsky has had some moments where he has been shaky in this playoffs. So. If that happens in the Coliseum, they're going to get on him pretty quickly. And, hey, as good as he is, you know, one goal could lead to two, two to three, and 
we'll see what happens there. But I, I think for this playoffs, you know, they, they have – Trots will figure out the line matchups and they'll figure out who they want where, but they have to stay out of the box. Um, it's not going to be easy no matter who's in net, no matter who's playing defense. It's not going to be easy to beat a power play who has five very good players, four all-stars and three Hall of Famers on one power play. So they can do that and limit the goals from there. And uh, and we got to stop. I think Hedman, too, is he's the guy that makes me nervous from uh, from the Lightning. So I, I think yeah. you've got to keep an eye out for him. He's in the, the Norris conversation. We can end it with that. I was going to save my bonus question for last. Uh Hedman, Cal McCarr, Adam Fox, Norris Trophy race, my guy Adam Fox. Is he going to win it or you don't think so? I like Hedman. Hedman doesn't even belong. I think actually I think Charlie McAvoy belongs over Hedman because of the games he's missed or whatever. Any, I mean, Cal McCarr offensively is, is amazing. So I think the way you look at it is like Adam Fox should because he's played the full season, whatever. Point. Well, I how about Adam this Fox. guy? How about the guy I'm sporting for my name right now, Adam Pellick? He is the real Norris Trophy winner. He was getting some love on the broadcast last night. If you watch, he's the best shutdown defenseman in the league. There's no arguing it. So you think he's the he's their best player? He's the number one guy that teams would take. You think? Possibly. I mean, it's it's probably him or Barzell or me. I don't know. Maybe even I said Barzell, but yeah, probably Barzell. But Pelic's really good. Pelic and Pulak on defense. They're they're offensively might might not show, but. You know, playing in Trotz's system, mainly defense, it's it's something to watch. And I think if, you, if you're a hockey fan, you can appreciate it. All right. Well, you like my seven-game series bet, plus 210. You said look at the money lines in the Nassau Coliseum games. Uh, you sound, as always, pretty cool, calm, collected, but a little a little positive. I could sense that you are still going to pick uh, the Islanders to win. If I, if I had to guess, you don't have to admit, but I'm going to guess you're, you're probably thinking Islanders in six. It'll be like what, how many games it was last year, but you guys win this time around. Um, that's my prediction of your brain. So, But, yeah, looking forward to it. It should be a crazy one. Do you have any uh, uh, quickly last picks between this? Is Vegas going to win this series, or is Colorado going to come back? Uh, I don't know. I, I, think, I think McKinnon – and then we're pretty nervous right now. What about you? I, I, I think, like, I don't know. I, I, I do like Vegas right now. I think Vegas has been there before. They've, you know, Colorado has been, you know, the playoffs too, but I think they're, I don't think they're there yet. I think it's Vegas can yeah, take a, care of it. Totally. I'm with you. It's a bit of a letdown of Colorado because everyone, you know, we feel saying this is the best team of, of, ever assembled. And now uh, it seems like Vegas is going to uh, t- uh, win this one out. And then they're going to have to go and lose to the Habs in four games. So. Um, but yeah, another uh, another fun one. I'm, I'm I really I'm looking forward to the series. This little revenge series. Uh, it's going to be fun to to ride this one out with you. So uh, next week's episode should be pretty fun. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, muzzle tough to meatballs and uh, muzzle tough to you to making it all the way to the end of this episode. We appreciate you listening. By the way, I forgot to mention we appreciate all the ears you sent us uh, last week, letting us know that you made it the full way through the show. If you want to drop us an ear again. We ain't going to complain. Also, make sure whenever you're making a wager, you do it at FanDuel.com. Slash minus three. Once again, that's the word minus the number three. We appreciate that. We appreciate you listening, following along at minus three pod. Make sure you're listening to Extra Points twice a week with me and Sal and all the other great shows on the Extra Points Network. Till next week, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>